Welcome to Bravo Team, our second G.I. Joe show looking at all the secondary G.I. Joe material. I am your host, Aaron Moss, codenamed Brotherhead. On this show, I'll either be by myself or have other guest hosts joining me looking at all the G.I. Joe material out there. We'll be covering things like the toys, the Action Force comic, the European Missions comic, the movies, G.I. Joe Renegades, or anything else that is not G.I. Joe, a real American hero comic, or the 80s cartoon. Come, join us on our mission to stop Cobra from taking over the world. Yo, Joe. And welcome back to Bravo Team. Uh, this month out, I'm going to be looking at the G.I. Joe yearbook number one, but I am not alone. Joining me today, we have our good buddy, Kevin Reitzel, a.k.a. Raider Nerd. What's Kevin, going on, buddy? What's going on, Aaron? Good to be back. This is an interesting topic that we're that we're going to be talking about, as opposed to the normal GI Joe issues. Yeah, so I feel it's going to be a bit of an experiment coming back in college. But that's a different story entirely. And when I say uh, issues in college, and when I say issues, I actually mean the comic book issues, not the issues that the history of GI Joe has had. They may come up. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> also joining us is Brad Abraham, aka. Jared 2.0. Mommy and Daddy are making a better version of you. Thanks again hey, for having me. Thanks again. Thanks again for having me. I feel like the guest who never left. <laughs> uh, always glad to have you, man. Always glad to talk G.I. Joe with you. And, you know, when I can't rely on the real Jared, I know I get yeah. you, you know. Yeah. yeah. When, the real, when the real Jared drops the ball, they bring me in. <laughs> <laughs> there are cleanups here, if you will. Yeah, yeah. the cleanup crew. <laughs> no, I forgot. They actually got their, their live stream today. I forgot about that. So that's why Pat and Jared's not with us. Yeah. That plus the restraining order Jared's got on me, but that's another story entirely. Um, <laughs> as I mentioned, we're here to talk about the G.I. Joe yearbook number one. Uh, before we get into the actual comic, let's go and talk a little bit about the history of it or whatever. Brad. Uh, we were talking before the show. So this comic here, the yearbook, did you buy this when it was fresh off the stand? I did. I don't know if it was exactly fresh off the stand. I remember uh, a guy in my class bringing it to school. Um, this is around November into December of 1984, which is why I so vividly remember it. And But I, I do remember December 1984 very, very uh, clearly because it was – probably one of the greatest months ever for G.I. Joe, because you had the yearbook, which kind of snuck up out of nowhere. You had uh, G.I. Joe number 33. And uh, the third thing is you had Christmas that month. And this is Christmas 1984. So if you were a, a boy of a certain age, you probably got a bunch of G.I. Joe stuff under the tree. I know I got the hovercraft, which, as we all know, is the greatest, the single greatest vehicle ever created for the G.I. Joe line. Agreed. And and some of the greatest action figures uh, were released in that year as well. You know, Ripcord is one of my favorites. I've mentioned it several times. But you also had Rakondo. You also had Blowtorch. 
Um, you had a lot of cool vehicles, a lot of cool toys. And on a personal note, December 1984 was my first ever trip to a, a real comic book store. Um, all the times I bought comics beforehand had just been at the newsstand um, or the uh, spinner rack at our local convenience store. But this necessitated a, a trip to a comic book store where I picked up the yearbook, I picked up G.I. Joe number 33, and I picked up Transformers number four, the fourth issue of the four-issue, then four-issue limited miniseries where it ended with <laughs> Shockwave showing up and blowing everybody away. So I do remember I do remember when I actually bought this, you know, like specifically about that month as being probably the peak of my G.I. Joe fandom as well. So, yeah, it's uh, there's a I have a storied history with uh, this yearbook. And Kevin, did you buy this one off the stand or did you read this later? I'm going to say I got it off the stand at this time. I think I, okay, so little backstory. G.I. Joe was the first comic book that I actually started buying month to month. I knew what comic books w were. I may have gotten a random Star Wars comic before that, but I wasn't really collecting comics into comics. I wasn't into superheroes as much. I was more into other things. But G.I. Joe was the first one that I collected month to month. <clears throat> so with that said, I didn't know what annuals were. I had no idea. I'm going to trust that uh, what uh, Jared 2.0 said <laughs> that this came out around December because uh, I'm looking at, I remember going into the um, bookstore slash comic book store. I think it was Andromeda books here in Santa Barbara. And uh, I always would go in there. This is before comic polls and stuff like that. And I was just wanted to see if the next issue was out. And I remember seeing the yearbook and I was like, Holy, what is this? What yearbook? What, what what's going Why is it thicker? Why does it cost more money? And uh, the guy behind the counter was kind of laughing. He's like, yeah, that's the annual. And I'm like, what? What's an annual? And then he explains it's kind of a comic book thing where every year they release a double size issue uh, with some extra stories and mostly just to put more ads in it, he said. <laughs> and uh, and I, I remember picking it up and going through it. I'm like, well, well, OK, wait, I remember this story. You know, it has the first issue reprinted on there. I'm like, OK. And then there's some other stuff in here. And and so that's when I realized that, OK, this is the G.I. Joe yearbook is their version of the annual. And then I uh, understood it later on. But it, it was really cool to have a thicker comic book in your hand of G.I. Joe with a really cool cover on it. And, you know, and then it says everything you need to know about America's favorite heroes. So I thought I was getting really good at going to get some really good stuff out of this. And I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that was my first impression of remembering it. But and learning about annuals for the first time. Well, as I've talked about, I didn't get into comics until 87. So this was a back issue I picked up for me. I found it eventually as a back issue and picked it up. But again, yeah, it was great reading it. But let's go and get into that. because I don't really have any memories of picking up off the stand because I wasn't buying comics at this time. So let's get some information on this. This is, as we talked about, G.I. Joe yearbook number one. The cover date was March of 1985. But the on-sale date was November the 27th, 1984. Uh, cover price was $1.50. It was edited by Thomas P. DeFalco. And as Kevin said, I think it was Kevin said, there's one story in here called Operation Lady Doomsday, which is a 28-page story that was reprinted from G.I. Joe number one. The cover of this was done by Michael Golden. So let's get into the cover. The cover of this book... I'm reading it out of the trade paperback. We've got a handful of Joe standing in front looking up at us. We've got the uh, uh, Sky Striker, the, what is that, the Polar Bear, and the Vamp, I believe it is. They're in the back. I can't, oh, okay, so that's probably the Mobat there behind the blurb. Almost missed that. 
and then it's got the was that ram motorcycle and then we got like we got deep six mutton junkyard stalker scarlets duke snake eyes gung-ho wild bill roadblock spirit or spirit iron knife charlie with a uh, spirit or freedom sorry and cutter and aces in the sky the sky striker um let's go and get some thoughts on this cover uh, let's start with kevin what are your thoughts on this cover? Overall, I think it's a pretty cool cover. Uh, I love the representation of the Joes with the the, the vehicles and stuff of kind of reminding you of what toys are out there to buy. You know, <laughs> at the time, obviously, I think that uh, the Ram was I believe that was my first vehicle. Then I got the Vamp. And so I was excited to see that on there. The Vamp, though, that was uh, the olive green color, not tan color that's on the top of this one here or the desert color, I guess. And uh, uh, they just the Joes look all happy, you know. It's like they're 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 just all smiling, you know. You even got the dog smiling there, and Freedom looking very happy and spreading his wings and everything. The only thing, and it's kind of been a little pet peeve all these years, is I wish the the colors look washed out like the whole cover i wish it was a little more mm-hmm. vibrant uh the blue behind the gi joe or the 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 eye in the gi or the star i guess i wish it just popped a little bit more and i and i thought maybe it was my copies that i had but they're all pretty much like that now is uh at least the original copies that i see they look a little bit washed out well i'm reading a paperback and it, it's the same one in there it, all the colors are washed out on it. So yeah, it's not just, it's, I think it was a coloring choice. Maybe not a correct choice, but it was a choice. <laughs> and Brad, do you have thoughts on this cover? Well, I, I, I would echo everything Kevin said, uh, except one thing I would add is I always thought this would have made a really great poster to adorn the the bedrooms of, you know, eight to 12 year old boys back in the mid eighties. And, you know, seeing something like this hanging on a wall would be, would have been really uh, cool. I'm kind of surprised that Marvel or Hasbro in their wisdom never thought to go, Hey, you know, we should maybe do a, a poster or something like that. But it's, it's, it's a really gorgeous cover. Again, I echo the, uh, the, the comment that the colors are a little faded on it. And I'm trying to think of if they were always as faded or if it's just because I'm holding a 35 year old comic in my hand and, you know, nothing is permanent, uh, not even uh, ink. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, it's it's sort of, it's interesting. It's It kind of, I think, sort of sets the tone for what's inside. Because I guess if you walked into the store and you saw it there and you picked it up, you wouldn't really know what to expect. You think annual, you think whatever. And it's, you know, it, it, it as we'll get into, it is and it isn't. But uh, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun cover. It's a nice little, uh, thing to have. And it's one of those ones you actually kind of want to have display somewhere in your home office or in your, in your man cave or your hangout spot or whatever. Like you told me, I could put everything you guys have said. I do think it, I do think it would have looked better as if the colors weren't so washed out, if they're brighter blues, if that star was the brighter blue, if everything was more brighter on it. But I do agree with you, Brad, that this would have been an amazing picture to hang on, you know, my wall in my bedroom. You know, I was, I was 14, almost 15 at the time. I would have loved to have this on my wall. But, yeah, this is, I love the way that they're all posed down at the beginning, kind of like a, a V formation, uh, staring up at the camera. It's, it's a great cover. It's fantastic. Uh, let's go get some JoJo Colas on this. Kevin, out of one to five JoJo Colas. I'm going to give this one a three. Three out of five JoJo Colas. Just above average. And... Uh, Brad, how many Yojo codes do you give this one? I would I would give it a three as well. As a hook, I guess as a as a potential poster or as a marketing thing, it's 
it does its job uh, and it does it really well. It doesn't it doesn't stand out in the way that uh, the uh, cover for some of the later yearbooks do. Um, I'm thinking of one yearbook in particular. I won't I won't get into it just now, but uh, you know I think it, it it does its job and it does its job well. Uh, it doesn't really transcend the medium, um, but it's not a total embarrassment either. They could have just phoned something in, but they got Michael Golden. Uh, who was a, a great artist, and they did an interesting uh, approach uh, with it um, as far as, just, I guess, how they colored it, whether they did it in, in a computer or whatever, some sort of early process they were using at the time. So it, uh, it's, 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 it's definitely nice to look at, but I don't think it's really the most memorable cover that we've seen in the entire Joe run. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a three. It's a respectable it's a respectable number. And yeah, I agree with you guys. I think this is a very good three. I, I would probably give it a four if the colors weren't so washed out. If it was like Kevin said, if it was more brighter colors and more of a pop, I think it would have a number. But yeah, three is a, a great, yeah. a great Yo Jellico for this one. Cause yeah, it's a good cover. But yeah, it's not, like you said, it, it's not phenomenal. Yeah. So, like, so the other covers are a little better. So, well, one question: Are we going to be talking about the back cover when we get to it, or are we going to talk about it now? Because there is a back we'll cover have it here. So, if you want to go ahead and talk about the shows, yeah, okay. uh, cover. I forgot about that. Yeah, I'm reading the big paper. Yeah, because um, you know, if people are watching the feed of this, they'll see it. But I'll hold it up anyway. It's the back cover is all Cobra. Yeah, stuff. we need to talk um, about that back cover. Yeah, yeah, and I, I would, I would Something say. Like yeah. I, I would say the uh, the back cover I would almost give higher marks to just because it's Cobra and the the line was called GI Joe Real American Hero not Cobra the Enemy, so they don't always Cobra doesn't always get you know play on the the front cover but on on this one the the back jacket uh, is really is is quite is quite cool I think in fact if if I had to pick one over the other I'd probably go with the Cobra one just um, on a on a on an artistic level it's it's a lot more. I don't want to say abstract. It's kind of like, kind of like this greenish backdrop that looks like uh, some sort of projection. They would do it in an old '60s rock show of all the like the lava lamp colors, and you have the uh, the claw and the uh, rattler and the fang in the sky, kind of barking past, and a big cobra symbol um, in the middle ground. And then in, on the bottom, you've got Storm Shadow, Cobra Commander, the Baroness, Destro, the His Tank, and perched atop the His Tank is Firefly. Oh, and Zartan. Sorry, I forgot about Zartan. I can't imagine how that would have happened, but Zartan's there too. And uh, and uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of cool. It's 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 kind of a cool cover. And that that's yeah, you the, almost missed Zartan there, buddy. I yeah, not not by choice. I, I honest, <laughs> honest. I swear, I did not deliberately <laughs> pass up on Zartan. But the interesting thing about this, which we'll also get into, is this this comic, this yearbook, is all cover to cover, inside and out, GI Joe. Any any advertisement in it is GI Joe related. You know, everything from the inside jacket cover is GI Joe and and back. There's no other ads or anything else. That's non-GI Joe and everything in it is re- related to GI Joe. So again, for a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old in 1984, this would have been like, you know, like the holy grail of, of GI Joe comic-related stuff for that year. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. That That's a very nice back cover. In fact, I would agree with you that it does get higher than the, the front cover. Uh, Kevin, what do you, you have thoughts on the back cover of... Yes, I think that we should also grade this separately because I agree uh, that this is actually better than the front cover. Uh, it's still got kind of that washed out look to it. So I guess that's maybe a, a design that they were going for here. But, you know, I think overall, the reason why we're such fans of Cobra is because honestly, most of them look better than the Joes. <laughs> Let's put it that way. They have the better uniforms. You know, they they do yeah. you know, they, they do the meaner stuff, you know, and I mean, these 
these uh, characters just look fantastic, especially the front five you got here with Storm Shadow, Cobra Commander, Baroness Destro, and um, Major Blood with Firefly and, and um, what's his name? What's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Zartan. Zartan. <laughs> Uh, and then we get the tease of the four vehicles as well, which is great. So, yeah, I, I really like this. And it's I, you know, if, if, if I almost would have forgotten about it if we weren't talking about it without turning it over, you know, because normally we don't get a back cover. We get a big yeah. ad. Right. So let's go and get some numbers on this one. Let's go ahead and start with uh, Jared 2.0 on a I'll scale of one to five. I'll give it a four. I'll give it a four. I think it's stronger than the. Uh... Then the front cover may not be classic, but I feel I feel like with the yearbooks, I kind of have to you kind of have to grade them a little bit differently, um, particularly this first one, because it, it is a comic, but it's not really a completely original one. But there's enough interesting stuff in it that I think makes it very much of its time. But uh, I think if you're a fan of G.I. Joe in that era, that 83, 84 period that, you know, I, th I, th I think it sort of represents the line, um, certainly of the toys and the, but the characters and just the comic sort of at its zenith. Like it, it seemed like in 1984 was the year that Joe really kind of came together and kind of clicked uh, in a way that it hadn't previously it was gaining fans and it was gaining interest but uh, i don't think we saw it see it really becoming a more of a cultural phenomenon that's stood the test of time for the last 35 years uh, until 84 and until this issue which comes out at the tail end of the year so it's almost like a like a culmination of everything that gi joe has been up to this point and kevin uh, how many uh, grape sodas would you give this one i give it a four and I'm going to have to agree with both of you guys. I think this is a 4, maybe a 4.5. It gets a little extra credit for me because it has the hooded Cobra Commander on it. Yeah. As always, that's my favorite version of them. So <laughs> if it wasn't a G.I. Joe comic, this would have made a better cover. But seeing how it's G.I. Joe, we need to have the Joes in the front. But yeah, this this was a much better of the two. Well, let's go and move inside the issue itself. So as we about the, the first thing in this is a reprint of Operation Lady Doomsday. The story from the first issue, I gave my thoughts about that a couple of years ago when we first did the first episode, but you two gentlemen weren't with us then. So uh, briefly, the Joes are fighting to save this woman, uh, Dr. Burkhart, and the Joes had to rescue her from the Baroness and Cobra. Uh, one thing I will point out here that we talked about way back then, when they're looking through the G.I. Joes, this isn't really numbered, so when they're talking about the G.I. Joes who are going to send out, there's one on there called a Joe called Shooter that we never see uh, other than the picture here. But it does go off and they, they save Lady Burkhart, who will, spoilers, show back up later on in the series. Some thoughts on this. Let's go ahead and start with uh, the Raider nerd himself, Kevin. I'm actually excited about this because I don't think I was a guest on. I think my first time I was a guest was number five, the one with the tank. I think that was it. And that was a while yeah. ago. So I, I'm actually excited about talking about this. So I always thought this would have made a great G.I. Joe movie with the cartoon, you know, and I thought I would have been a great tie in to even because there's a lot of people that were watching the cartoon and not reading the comic and vice versa. And then there was a bunch of us that were doing both. But I thought it would have been a great tie in because this would have been a great series. And I would have loved it if they did reference Shooter. Like it would have been great if he was like one of the, the green shirts on Cobra Island, but then he actually got killed or, or something happened I, that just I, I wish they would have made reference to Shooter somehow that way, uh, or at least in this comic, you know, and, but Shooter was the editor, if I remember correctly. And that's why there's yeah. reference to I'm him sure. when it, when they refer to like 
you know, hey, Jim, this was an episode. They put a little asterisk. This was the last issue. And they put these little notes to the, the editor there, which I always thought was kind of funny because I'd never never seen that before, obviously. Uh, I always thought it would be really cool uh, if we actually did get a L lct landing craft type of like vehicle it probably would have been quite large but i would like i would have liked to see that more in action that would have been really cool and i love how we get both the tank and the ram uh really cool like uh, like shots of them assaulting the cobra island especially with the um the mobat uh, like going over the barricade and then you got <laughs> i love the fact that you got rock and roll just like you know going over a uh uh, a ditch with his ram and i always thought that was just really really cool and also and i wanted to see more of this later on in comics but i think we only got it in this one but correct me if i'm wrong that um scarlet utilizing those throwing stars on her gloves or, or forearms you know and she throws one and hits um cobra commander you know and the gun out of, out of his out of his hand I, I always thought that was cool and i was fascinated by the cameras that got smuggled in by the baroness and the cobra troopers and that they were actually guns and i always thought they looked really cool <laughs> but i just overall i thought it was, it was a great story it was a great way to uh showcase the joes and uh see them in action it was a great first issue showing that they're this elite you know unit and um you know how they uh work together and but i just i wish we would have gotten a little bit more of some of the other things like shooter and, and stuff like that later on but uh um, overall great issue i really enjoyed it and it's still a good good standalone story i think and i would love for it to be revisited sometime mm -hmm. and brad what are your thoughts? Um, well, I think I, I echo what Kevin said. I think uh, as a standalone story, uh, it does a lot. It introduces the characters, uh, introduces the conflict. It gives everybody um, a, a moment in the story, even a, a minor Joe, like uh, Grand Slam gets to go into action. And, you know, characters who really only you saw a lot of maybe in the first 10 to 20 issues, characters like uh, Short Fuse and Grunt and and Flash, um, you know, the characters kind of got phased out as the uh, series progressed. They get to do a lot of stuff here. Um, the interesting thing about it, looking at it now is you, I kind of have to look at it in, in, in two, two ways. I have to look at it from the POV of me now looking at a 35-year-old almost 38 year old uh, story. And you, you can kind of see a lot of just the touchstones, uh, the way it's plotted, uh, the illustrations by Herb Trimpey. It's very much feels like that early eighties Marvel aesthetic, you know, where it, it moves really quickly. There's a lot of outlandish little uh, gadgets popping up right off the top. There's the assault on the train where uh, you see Cobra coming in, like, it's like these little motorized gliders attacking the uh, the train that Dr. Burkhardt is on. It's got, you know, the, um, you know, the, the introduction of things like the, the Joes, but also the pit, which here seems to be out in some weird desert location uh, in the middle of nowhere, not really on New Jersey. I guess they hadn't decided where they were setting the headquarters yet. But, um, you know, I think as a story, it works really well. It moves really quickly. Um, there's lots of different moving pieces to it. I, I love how it's got this map of the island where Cobra's got their base, because I'm, I'm a big map nerd, particularly in comics, and you kind of get to plot it <laughs> out. So that's that's me looking at it now, just as sort of a, the, the first the first brick in the wall that is G.I. Joe. Um, and then, but trying to think about how it was when I, when I read it back in 84. Now, if a friend hadn't gifted me a copy of G.I. Joe number one, that he had this probably would have been my first uh, exposure 
to reading uh, that G.I. Joe story. And I get that that was probably the case for a lot of kids who came into the comic book a little later, because by this point, Joe was taking off in comics and early issues were very difficult to get a hold of. Uh, you'd have to pay a lot of money to get some of those early issues. And I know this because I paid like 20 bucks for G.I. Joe number two, which in today's dollars is like $40, which is a lot. Of <gasps> no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I, think I, paid, I think I paid like 20 bucks because my, my store never got it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that 20 bucks was a lot of money back in the 80s. That would—that yeah. was like the, a, a water moccasin and uh, two or three figures. That was a lot of money to spend on one thing. But, you know, I paid, I think I paid 20 for number two and paid $10 each for numbers three and numbers four. And they were, they were very hard to find. So for a lot of kids, you know, this was the one and only chance they got to read the first G.I. Joe story because it's, it's easy to forget nowadays what with things like comiXology and other digital comics and trade paperbacks and things is when, if you didn't buy these comics when they first came out, there was a very good chance you would never get to, to, to own a copy or read a copy because comic, even comic book stories weren't as ubiquitous back then as they became. So it, it was, it was uh, a nice thing for them to throw in. So it kind of, it kind of walks the, 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 the line between just being a, they're, they're charging you for a reprint of the first issue, but they're giving you an opportunity to buy the first issue of GI Joe and read the first issue of GI Joe without having to shell out an arm and a leg and, you know, blow months or a couple months worth of allowance money on a comic book. Uh, they give you a chance to, uh, to kind uh, of, to, to kind of jump in on the ground level. And the only other thing that's interesting to see is just between this first issue and where we leave off in the story in the run, which would have been around 32, 33 is how far the comic has come uh, from those initial issues where it very much read kind of like a, like an agents of shield kind of approach to it, which, you know, is, if you know, the history of the development of the comic isn't that far of a, uh, a leap, but, uh, you know, from going from a Cobra Island and Dr. Burkhardt and, you know, you know, villages being massacred by Cobra and this sort of very paramilitary, almost, almost Nazi-ish image imagery to Zartan and Storm Shadow and Firefly and how sort of what it became. So it, 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 fe it feels old reading it now, but even back then in 84, it felt like it was a long time ago, a few years, only a few years earlier could still feel like a very long passage of time just in the development of the story and the characters. Yeah, like I see great, great stories are great, especially for the first issue. It was a great introduction to the team. And like you said, it gave it's a little spotlight on all of them, except for poor shooter. But it gave you a chance to who everyone was and to experience the team and a good entry point. And that's kind of it. You really did need that refresher because one of the reasons why I never really got big into comics collecting back in the 80s of a lot of the Marvel stuff was because, you know, those those books had been running for many, many, many months, many issues. You're talking about 5, 10, 15 years in a lot of cases. And you'd pick one up and read it and they do the little asterisk saying, you know, this is refers to something that happened in, you know, X-Men number 102. And you're like, well, how am I going to get a copy of that to read? I'm never going to know how it how it plays out. So here, you know, which gets into the next section of the yearbook. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that, I guess. But just having this issue and just being able to sort of see stuff that was referred to uh, as opposed to just having to wonder what it was. And I say this, this actually... This story, uh, this issue you talk about came 
came out between issues 32 and 33, right between the two. So I, I just had a question because uh, uh, usually annuals come out every year. So you would think every 12 issues we should have this. Why do you guys think or do we know why it took so long to get their version of an annual out by it, it, between issue 32 and 33? I think maybe, and this is me talking, you know, pull, pulling this out of my ass, which is something I do. <laughs> every every week, every episode of this podcast. Anyway, I, I almost think it's maybe because GI Joe was really starting to take off on the the toy side of things, um, where it went from being a, a toy line that sold relatively well to one that just started really selling well. And I think that a lot of that happened after Return of the Jedi, where kids who were into Star Wars they had no new Star Wars movies, no new real Star Wars toys coming out, so they're looking for something new. And GI Joe kind of came in to fill the bill and. I think maybe what happened is somebody at Marvel looked at the toy sales and said, you know, we got to do something to get those kids who are now buying into G.I. Joe to come in and start buying into the comic as well. And some somebody happened upon the idea, hatched upon the idea of making an annual that's not really a news story. It's just kind of a, a recap or the, a reprint of the first issue and then a sort of a, a, a recap of what happens between then and the present in the book. Because it, the, 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 well, we'll get into the recap in a bit, but it, it covers a lot of ground. So that's my own theory is that they were just trying to get more people reading the comic. That is a very intelligent and well thought out response. And I couldn't have said it better myself. And I'm going to believe that. <laughs> that could be the nicest thing anyone's ever said. <laughs> I have my mind. I agree. I think I don't think this was thought out beforehand, really. They didn't plan on. I don't think Larry, when he went to the series, said I'm going to have an annual every year. Like, like, you know, Brad was saying that, yeah, the, the cartoon, they released uh, the first two cartoon miniseries. The toys were taken off. Everyone was loving it. So they said, how can we get some more money on this? How can we get more people interested? I would love this? to hear a story where, like, they're at Larry Hama and the rest of the, the artists and inkers and everyone, and even Jim Shooter, they're sitting at a table and they're talking about, you know, the next year of G.I. Joe and where it might go. And Larry Hama's slamming his fist down on the thing going, why don't we have our own annual? Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd love to hear that story. Do you guys hate money? Come on. <laughs> we can promote the G.I. Joe fan club and everything G.I. Joe in this issue. Well, then I, I, I put a challenge out to uh, to the both of you is whenever whenever comic book shows and fan meetups resume again. Uh, and if whoever, whoever the first among us is to uh, to, to to corner Larry. Uh, we have to ask them, say, what is the story behind the G.I. Joe yearbook? Why did it happen? Perfect. Why, you know, what, what was the deal behind it? And then you can I have, a, I have a feeling your theory is going to win out over mine, but I would just love if, if Larry, you know, spoke up and said something, that would have been great. Yeah. I like the idea of your, I, I think your theory and mine kind of work together because that, that would have been the catalyst, which was just Larry angrily pounding the desk of the table and saying, why are we doing an annual? And, and Shooter saying, how about we reprint the first issue? And, see how that goes and that way because that way you don't have to pay larry and an artist to come up with a new story you know that that came in the, that came in the second year book but uh yeah yeah it could be could be i am gonna say if that if kevin's story is what happened i would pay money if someone recorded it and we could have a video of it i would love to see <laughs> pounding on the table <laughs> uh but that's what i was gonna mention yeah one of you guys go to the comic conventions when they ever start back up you guys happen to see larry uh, maybe someone can ask him also you guys next time you see larry ask him if he remembers how the yearbook came to be why they started doing it 
because again, yeah, it came out more than two years after the series started. So it seems like it was a little more of an afterthought than something that was planned out originally. Uh, any other thoughts on this story? Nah, I'm good. No, I got it. I'm good. Move on to the next section, which is called Continue, which basically is a recap of the last two and a half years of G.I. Joe. I don't know much in cover. I definitely want to cover this because you know, we've talked about this for the last, like I said, two and a half years. Uh, but it starts out saying, you know, after G.I. Joe rescued Dr. Burkhart, Cobra was in a few months. When Cobra did return, it was stronger than ever and has continued to grow in numbers, cunning, and equipment. But so has G.I. Joe. The two forces battle all over the earth, in the United States and in virtually every foreign nation. What follows is a brief look at some of the more memorable meetings. And so it goes on talking about how Cobra was attacking the Kindu Kush monuments or mountains in Afghanistan, where Cobra fought G.I. Joe to retrieve an abandoned Russian spy plane to the frozen tundra where the Joe story a Cobra pl- plot to steal plutonium from nuclear power plants. And that is where we met Quinn for the first in that story. Or Quinn. Uh, then it goes on to talk about how the Joe's strangest confrontation with Cobra began on the quiet tree lined streets of Springville. Scarlet, Zap, and Snake Eyes found themselves trapped in the small town when the Cobra stronghold, they were took to the air and was flown there. And this was issue 10 with Springfield. This is our first introduction to Springfield. Our first introduction to Billy, which uh, is coming up nicely in the stories we're talking about in the main book. Book uh, once there, there were once they were in Springfield. The insidious Doctor Venom tried to force Snake Eyes to reveal valuable information. And I love how here on yeah, I can talk about as I'm t- going through it. They've got Snake Eyes strapped to the brainwave scanner, and his mask is off, but his face is totally in shadows and darkness. You can't see what he looks like without his mask on. But Snake Eyes, an expert in the Eastern martial arts, dropped his own heartbeat and convinced Venom he was dead. And when the good doctor let his uh, guard down, we show Snake Eyes just pouncing on Dr. Venom and smacking the hell out of him. Then Snake Eyes rescued Scarlet and Zap from the brainwashed townspeople, but the three had to escape using a plane with damaged instruments. That and a storm left them with no way of knowing where they had just been. And then we go to the Sierra Gordo, yeah, Sierra Gordo storyline, where Stalker, Breaker, Gung-Ho, and Snake Eyes track down Scarface who sadly we never got a figure of back in the day. Uh, they got more than they bargained for. Dr. Venom took them captive with the help of Quinn, an Eskimo mercenary. Gungo helped his fellow Joes escape, but Snake Eyes apparently didn't quite make it. The mission wasn't a total loss, though. Breaker returned to the pit with a Cobra map fragment that gave the Joes just the clue they needed to find their enemies. And find them they did. In a Cobra lab hidden in an abandoned furniture factory. Uh, the raid yielded important information. But while this was happening, Snake Eyes was still alive, although the Joes didn't know it. Trapped underwater with Quinn and Dr. Venom in the bunker, the Baroness had apparently destroyed. Snake Eyes wondered what would kill him first, the lack of oxygen or one of his fellow captives. Quinn forced open the bunker door, and the three reluctant comrades escaped in a stolen airplane. Venom tried to kill Quinn and Snake Eyes, but by pushing them out of the Bombay doors, Quinn wasn't amused. When they crash-landed in Miami, a high-priced Cobra lawyer was waiting for Venom, well, all that waited for the other two was a jail cell. Snake Eyes and Quinn saw revenge, and Venom went to rejoin his Cobra comrades. And then we get the size of Cobra Commander, Destro, Major Blood, Scarface, the Baroness, and Venom. J- Cobra then battled the Joes to a near standstill on the streets of Washington, D.C. Cobra planned to infect the entire population by mixing deadly toxins into the ink used to print U.S. currency, but the plot was scuttled when Cobra Commander unexpectedly turned on Destro. Major Blood and the badly burned Baroness was both taken to the pit, but so is Scarface. By this time, Quinn and Snake Eyes had escaped the Miami jail, been recaptured by Venom and Cobra, and strapped into a remote-controlled snake battle armor. And when the Joes had to visibly quarantine their stronghold to protect the rest of Fort Wadsworth, 
They were spotted by Cobra spy satellites. Not impossible. Quinn escaped the armor, only to be shot in the back by Venom. Uh, the Joes won. We paid a high price for their victory. Blood and the Barracks escaped. The pit was partially destroyed, and General Flagg was killed in action. The two heroes were given the kind a funeral they deserved. Quinn's casket was floated in the Arctic Current, and Flagg was given a military burial in Arlington National Cemetery. Meanwhile, Cobra has been busy recruiting new allies, Brad's favorite, the Dreadnoughts, marauders from Australia with an insane hunger for destruction, and Zartan, the deadliest master's guys who ever lived. So the struggle between G.I. Joe and Cobra goes on, Earth itself as the prize. So this the synopsis they have here ends around issue 30, a couple of months before it actually came out. So let's get some thoughts on that. So let's go ahead and start with, uh, since it ends with Brad's favorite, Zart, let's start with Brad. Jared, two point out what are your thoughts on the three cast. Um, I think what are your thoughts on yeah. then and now. <laughs> on then and now. Well, I, I think looking at it now, um, and even back then, I think as a recap goes, it's a pretty solid one. It gets it gets you up to speed where you could pretty much pick up uh, GI Joe number thirty three at the same time you pick this thing up, and and kind of be able to join the story um, midstream and and be able to keep up with what's going on while you tried to track down the other issues, which is what I was doing at that time, um, and particularly into 1985, I was buying the new issues as they came out and any opportunity I had to try and track down some of the back issues to fill in the story. Uh, I knew what, uh, so I knew what was going on. Um, interesting thing about this is you look at even the first page of the recap, it's got a panel from issue number six and then another one from issue number 11. And you kind of realize looking at it that they sort of jumped over the first 10 issues. Um, they pop back a bit to talk a little bit about the uh, issue 10, a uh, nice little town like ours, Springfield one. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that happened in those first 10 issues, but you kind of realize, you know, as, as far as the story they're pushing in this recap, which is the Cobra versus G.I. Joe aspect, that, you know, it's, it's, it's really about building up that relationship and that conflict. So there's no real talking about the stuff that happened in issues two, three, or four. Uh, Cobra made a brief appearance in five, and then they showed up again in six and seven with the uh, October Guard, who don't get any mention here, but that's, that's another that's another story for another another yearbook the uh, interesting thing was i think it does a very good job of just kind of hitting the main beats it hits the big moments uh, it has you know everything from uh, quinn and dr venom and uh, the baroness and general flag and those characters you know in, in the case of the 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 baroness notwithstanding the characters who were killed uh, in the story before we get to the the present day or the then present day uh, so we at least know who these people were and what role they played so i think it keeps uh, it gives you enough information to know what the backstory was or what had happened before but it leaves enough blanks that if you wanted to go back and track down these issues and and start reading them you're not gonna have everything spoiled for you uh that there's enough mystery of what happened in those preceding 30 odd issues uh, that you can buy those and still get a good entertaining story without having too much given away. And Kevin Reitzel, what are your thoughts on, on this recap they've done? This is what's known as uh, the comic book version of the TV show's clip show. <laughs> 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 but, you know, as as Brad said earlier, though, this is great for people that are getting into it. Because you can say, just go get the yearbook number one. It'll catch you up with most of the important stories. Yes, they skip over stuff, obviously. But uh, what I like about the, the – the it's kind of the middle middle of this here where – they're like, wait a minute. 
you, you kind of know who the Joes are, but let's let's remind you who the, the Cobras are. And there's the scene where and I, if I remember correctly, this was I don't think this was an actual comic book, but there was maybe a table or a conference room that had all the main Cobras in it. And then it says mm-hmm. it says the Cobra commander. And then you show him thinking, thank you, Major Blood. I'm touched. He's a despicable bootlegger everything that Destro isn't. And that's why he must destroy Destro for me. And then it goes Destro. And then De- Destro says something. And then it goes major blood or it says Destro, his rival, then major blood, the commander's henchman. Then it goes over to Scarface, the mysterious courier. And he says some stuff. And then the Baroness and then Venom knew the score and Venom saying too many uh, contradictory plots and ambitions how can I use them to my advantage? <laughs> so I always thought that was kind of cool uh, to, uh, to kind of remind you who the bad guys were, you know, so because so much attention is mostly put on the Joes here because it is called G.I. Joe. But, you know, overall, I think it was a great way to get people into the comic and caught up with the story this thus far. And they uh, cover some really cool, famous scenes in here. And I love the fact that Quinn is in there and they show Quinn's death as well. And that run from issue 11 or 12 through 19 with Sierra Gordo and all that stuff, you know. And I think when they were deciding how to do this yearbook, I think they went about it right. Obviously, we didn't get an original story. That's my only major complaint about this. But still, I think it was great to uh, catch people up what was going on because they might have realized that either it was print run or whatever, that it was kind of tough to get some of these other issues and especially issue number two. So, yeah, overall, I thought it was good. And yeah, I agree. Yeah, that, that scene with the uh, the Cobras, they were around the table having their, their victory, their planning and all that. But meanwhile, yeah, they're all planning on how to backstab each other and how to take one another out basically that was a great scene but yeah like you guys i read this i read this as a back issue i think i'd already read these issues in the digest form but it was good seeing this and like i said it was a good way to catch people up that were just joining the the comic on what's happened previously but like i said without having to track down 30 issues of the comic this kind of wrapped it all up for you i'm a little surprised they didn't give a little more uh, service to Billy in here, seeing how he, at least when he first showed up, seeing how this is right in the midst of the whole Billy shoot commander and finding out that they're related and all that. But, but yeah, no, this is a great way, I think, to to capture, let's say, two years of comic. And I thought they ended it nicely on R10 and the Dreadnought just outside the gate uh, for Wadsworth, McGuire Air Force Base, about ready to break in and mess things up. <laughs> As they want to do. The next segment in the book, we have the pit, the G.I. Joe Command Center. And this is a, a breakdown of the pit, which I believe was in the first issue, I want to say. And it shows you all, all the layers of the pit. There's one five layers of the pit. And they break it down. They show you know, what's on each level of the pit. They show the emergency exit. They show uh, down there at the bottom, they have a, a boring machine, it looks like. It come in, that's a generator down there. It's a generator down there. Uh, so, Kevin, what are your thoughts on the, the classified file of the pits? Pardon me. I'm actually opening up my uh, half a long box of G.I. Joe comics and, and looking at the original first issue again, signed by Larry Hama. <clears throat> and um, <laughs> I, I wanted to look at this version of the pit that's in the uh, um, yearbook as opposed to the one in the issue number one, because I was doing a little Google, Google foo and trying to find some high res scans of the pit. And I'm wondering like, why, why haven't we gotten like a poster released of the pit of, 
of this picture because it's so iconic. People love this thing. And I found some scans and I found one that has a, a page number 29 on it. And I'm trying to figure out if that's from something else because, or at least it says 29 at the bottom. So I don't know if that 29 was put on the scan itself and someone was like kind of keeping track because I had to, you know, really define my search to find this. And I found this page that had all of these maps and cutaways, like the Fantastic Four building and all these other ones. And that's where I found this. The uh, original issue, number one, and of course, the uh, yearbook does not have uh, the page number on it. And the yearbook doesn't have any page numbers on it. So I was kind of curious to find out if that was something that came from another printing maybe with that said it would be nice if this originally was in the middle of the comic book where the staples go so if you wanted to destroy your original issue and take the staples and pull that out so you didn't have that comic book you know division there of showing you know this is page folds under here and so on and so forth. But then again, I think it would be great to get this on a t-shirt or a poster and still show the comic book line in it. I still think that would look cool. One of the greatest images of all time. And I give this uh, a 20 out of one to five Joe Colas. <laughs> and Brad, thoughts? You know, I so wish like I, they'd it would have been prohibitively expensive, but I always thought it would have been cool to have a pit like playset for Joe. And I'm I'm sure if you look online, you're gonna find somebody who's designed and built their own for their toy. Yeah, can I go dig a hole out in the backyard? I got yeah. this toy. <laughs> or just some big thing to set up on the on the kitchen table so your family can't actually eat together because you got all your G.I. Joe stuff there. I'm so I said I'm sure some enterprising toy enthusiast in his in his gi joe toy bunker room has built custom built his own uh his own pit uh you know play, sectioned off you know play set and you know he he may very well have used this schematic or this diagram as a base because it's got the it's got the overview of all the different levels from the first level on down to the fifth and it's got uh this nice sort of cross section which uh you know, along with maps is one of my favorite things to see in a, a comic is that 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 view that you can't get in, say, a movie or a TV show or, or whatever. Just you can kind of take the whole thing in, in one in one go. But, uh, you know, it's just fun little things like that that they've peppered throughout the yearbook, which really makes it a, a keeper, even though it is really just a reprint of the first issue. Um, but even and back then in particular, it was really cool to see because, you know, if you're a fan of the comic or if you're just getting into the comic, you kind of want to know everything about G.I. Joe. And this is one of the big ones is where where their headquarters is. And and where, uh, you know, where everything goes. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I would certainly give it somewhere in the 20 out of five range as far as cool things to have. And it, like, like the cover, it should have been a poster also. Uh, agreed 100% with everything you guys just said. This, this was great. I, I know Pat has talked about he loves, I'm not saying it's Pat that said he loves these, these diagrams in the middle of the book showing the, the different buildings and things. And I agree. Yeah, this is just fantastic. This was, it gave you a sense of what the Joes were dealing with, of what, you know, their their home, in quotes, looked like. And again, yeah, it's just great the way they have this laid out. And I agree that th this should have been a poster and or a t-shirt, because that would have been really cool, though, to have a t-shirt that people always stop and looking at your chest. I don't know. But... <laughs> But yeah, no, I love the, the pit in here. You see some of the vehicles in there. You get the, the tanks, or, uh, the, the cannons there. They got a pull down in there, which we've seen in previous issues. And everything numbered 
to let you know, you know, so you can match it up with where it goes on the, the little diagrams compared to the actual layout of the pits. Yeah, it's just a fantastic. And not only does it have, like I said, the layout of everything, but, you know, it's got some information here. It tells you it's five levels of still reinforced radiation shielded concrete and alloy armor, a complete self-contained environment capable of withstanding a five megaton direct hit and remaining buttoned up past radiation substance. Uh, the surface buildings of the complex are fully operational as well as they appear to be. The motor pool that functions as the main access can drop transmissions and do complete lube jobs. So it's not just for looks, it's actually functional. All levels can be sealed separately and the bottom two levels comprising living system, I'm sorry, living quarters, life support systems, and armory can operate hermetically sealed independently for up to six months. All utilities are self-contained, generators, relay batteries, atmosphere recycling, apparatus, and food stores are sufficient for six months of isolated operation. Yeah, this is just a, a fantastic uh, drawing there. Unless you have thoughts on, on the pit itself, either stories or anything else you want to talk about, we'll move on to the next section, which are the, the file cards. Uh, next few pages, we have pictures of the Joes with their file card. But I did have a question. There's an ad here to subscribe to G.I. Joe today. So for 16 issues, you only have to pay six fifty. And I have a question. I never subscribed to comics ever. Did you guys do that? Did anyone know? How did they come shipped? Yes, Brad? I have an answer for that because I think this, seeing this got me the idea to subscribe to uh, G.I. Joe with the comic, which I did. I actually did subscribe to it for a couple of years because uh, I didn't want to miss a single issue. And they shipped, and I, I actually still have one because somehow I went up with a dupe because we'd moved midway through the first year of my subscription. So it shipped in a plain brown sleeve, plain brown uh, paper sleeve with your name on it. I actually have a duplicate of issue four. So, so it was totally bendable and stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was totally bendable. It was totally bendable. I, 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 did, I, only did, I think I only did the subscription for one year. Not so much because they ever arrived damaged. I don't think any of them ever arrived severely damaged. But just by the way the Postal Service worked back then, it would be, you know, the, the issue would be out on stands for weeks like several weeks before my subscription issue ever arrived. And it wasn't until I was able to start going to comic books stores on my own that I just did the poll list with the, uh, <laughs> with the guy. So I could do it who owned the store. So I had going and pick up my book. So I, you paid a little bit more for it on the newsstand or in the comic book store, but at least you got it before or around the time everybody else did rather than going to wait three weeks going into going into the 7-Eleven to get a, get a, sl a slushy or something like that and seeing the issue on the rack. And you're like, ah, but my subscription issue hasn't shown up yet. Do, you know, do I, do I read it here and then put it back? So I know, or do I, do I wait? And you know, for, for, you know, it's, it was just too much to ask. It was too much to ask, but I'll have to check. I think I have my original issue 41 still in the wrapper. So I should, uh, I should dig that out and, and see if that's the case or if I'm just misremembering it. Yeah, I never subscribed because I was afraid of how they would come. I was afraid they were going to be like rats in just an envelope or a wrapped on paper, and I, I don't trust the mail. Mm. So it was <laughs> something like that. So I subscribed. That's what I've heard from other people that they would just come shipped in a paper wrapper or a bag or something. A lot of time to come yeah. damaged yeah. or something happened to it. So yeah, I, I yeah. was too paranoid. Although I will, <laughs> I will like to add in, 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 uh, in, 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 in defense of the, of the postal system, I've, I've been a subscriber to national geographic for about 20 years. And I can think maybe two occasions where the magazine arrived damaged, you know, so two issues out of, 
20 years worth where that happened. Oh, that's, that's good to hear. So any other thoughts on this or should we move on to the next segment where they look at the characters? No. Characters. Characters it is. Characters it is. So the next, I say, the next few pages have the characters, has a picture of them with uh, basically the, their file card. And I'm just going to go off and read off their names. Um, again, yeah, there's a lot to read to read off all their information if you want to know more about them. Either pick up their, their file card from their character or pick up this issue. And we'll talk briefly about each character if you guys want, you know, your thoughts on them. Uh, start out Snake Eyes. You got a nice little picture here of the original Snake Eyes. I'm sure everyone here loves Snake Eyes to one extent or the other. Snake Eyes is awesome. Fan favorite. <laughs> the, the picture of Snake Eyes is kind of bland. Have you noticed? Yeah, there's nothing really remarkable about it, but they're all uh, I, these, these, the, 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 the the artwork. That's the snapshot of the uh, characters. I wonder if it's deliberate, like it's supposed to look like a like a yearbook photo where everybody looks bad, or a driver's license photo where everybody looks bad, or just some Polaroid that was snapped and say here, and then you know, and everybody's just kind of standing awkwardly trying to you know just 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 hold still for a minute while the while the picture develops. <laughs> Probably, yeah, because none of them are really great sh shots for them. They're just saying, hey, what? What do you want? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we have Cutter the next one. The next one in the line is Cobra Commander with the, the battle helmets. And, again, I'm not going to read all these cards off, but I love Cobra Commander's absolute power, total control of the world. It's people, wealth, and resources. That's the objective of Cobra Commander. <laughs> I just love that it's very – when I say his final name is classified, Snake Eyes is classified. Uh, the next one they have here is Copperhead. Or I guess an alternate code name, Mamba or Gator, is known as. And again, not much is known about him. He's, he's presumably be born down, born in the Florida area, Everglades. He's very familiar with that area. Uh, next one, I really like this one. It's a uh, rock and roll. This shows rock and roll riding the motorcycle, firing the Gatling gun on the side. Uh, what do you guys say about the rock and roll's file card here? That's awesome. That was that's this is one of my favorites of this. Uh, there's nothing more iconic. And you got that from the first issue and earlier in this uh, yearbook of him on the Ram. And, and he is like the iconic driver of that vehicle. And I love it because not only does he have this huge Gatling gun, he's got an M60 as well. He's got lots of guns. <laughs> he's going to mess somebody up. Any thoughts on this one, Brad? Yeah, he gets a full page too, but I guess because they're also trying to show off the uh, the Ram yeah. motorcycle, and, and there's another one further down. That's uh, the same deal where I guess they decided they had to show off the these, you know show, show off show off one of the vehicles too, just so the kids know that they're out there, and then they can bug mom and dad to buy it. You know, this this is this is streeting in November, December. Christmas is coming. Get the idea in there now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a problem, Mom. I need the motorcycle he rides on. See, he's right here. He needs this motorcycle. <laughs> uh, and I'm a little surprised, kind of, kind of the same thing for Copperhead, seeing how, in theory, yeah, Copperhead never appears in. Yeah, the I was going to say, but you know, he came with. That's why I was just as I was talking about that, I got thinking. Wait, a minute, yeah, we don't think we ever do see Copperhead in, in at least the real American Hero series. Yeah. This is the only so time. It's funny that it shows up in the. This is the only time in this. Huh, that's, yeah, I just thought about that. Yeah, I just thought about this. I was talking. I was like, they should have shown him because he's in the the, uh, the water moxie. But wait a minute, no, we never saw him in the comic at all. So yeah, it's really weird that he's in here. Is Duke the, the face of GI Joe? Uh, below him is Ricondo. Uh, Ricondo looks like there's a little coloring mistake, or maybe it's a black white photo because his mustache on here is white. Yeah, at least it is in the version I'm reading. But again, just a minor nitpick there. 
Next page, we have some Cobras. We have Firefly and Storm Shadow. Again, a couple of great characters, in my opinion. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on Storm Shadow and or Fire, Firefly? Firefly yeah. looks great. He always has looked cool. He's got like one of the coolest like uniforms ever. Um, just a fan of two, uh, the page earlier of Rakondo. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love the way Rakondo looks with his hat. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is I'm, I'm going through this and I'm not sure what their selection process was and in, in which, which Joes and Cobras get a little write up, which ones don't, but you actually get to see some characters in this like Rakondo before they show up in the real American hero, the regular book. Like I think, you know, if this, if this yearbook came out around the same time as 33, I don't think Rakondo showed up until 37 or 38. So it's still a ways down the road months wise before right. you actually get to see him in action in the comic. And same with, with, uh, on the next page, you have thunder, uh, who I don't remember being in the comic at all either, unless it's a very minor, minor appearance somewhere. I'm trying to think if he did show up. I, I, I want to say he shows up later, if I'm not mistaken. But when, no, when, whenever, whatever vehicle, you know, whatever vehicle he drove, I'm trying to remember the name of it. But he was one of the ones that came with the vehicle, and other the vehicle got limited play in the comic, or I'm not sure what. But I don't really like him. Like him in Copperheart, Copper, Copperhead. I don't really uh, have any memory of them being in the original run. Yeah, we talked about Copperhead a couple issues ago because they had Cobra Commander driving the water moxkin and. Uh, yeah, for some reason, yeah, Copperhead never made it. He showed up in, I think it was IDW's version later yeah. on, like, the continuation yeah. of IDW. Yeah. Got it? Yeah, and the original, yeah, the 155 run. No, 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 son. I, I know he's shown up since in the relaunch of the Real American Hero line, like, fairly recently. I think I saw him, and uh, he, he snuck into a couple of the issues as well. So maybe he was, maybe he's in special missions. I don't know. It's been a while since I've read those. Yeah, well, we'll look at those when we get down the road. But yeah, I don't, yeah, he, uh, as far as I can recall, yeah, Copperhead never showed up, and yeah, I want to say Thunder showed up somewhere, but I, I want to say Copperhead was sure. it, Copperhead was doing the water moccasin, wasn't that in the uh, issues in the Everglades? Yeah, yeah, but uh, no, he, he wasn't didn't show there. up. He didn't. The water water, mar- water moccasin, was, he wasn't. They had they had Firefly and Wild Weasel. Maybe that was weird. The dead water moccasin. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think he showed up there. Yeah, no, he did. We because we I remember we had a conversation about that because it was weird that they had his vehicle, but he never showed up. Yeah, we had a yeah. long conversation about, about that. Don't know why. Again, that's another question. If if anyone gets Taco Flurry, mm-hmm. one, how this year came to be, and two, what what's what's his hatred for? Which is surprising because if you if you read Copperhead's <laughs> uh, his little file card, you know, it says that he's a native or familiar with the Florida Everglades. You know, he they guess he used to race speedboats and high stakes races and he's got gambling debts he's got to pay off so he joins the cobra on, on a boilerplate level that's a really interesting character um you know a lot more than just they want total domination or right. total control he's a so some 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 desperate you know swamp dweller from the from the everglades who's you know being chased by the mob to pay off his gambling debts and he throws in with a bunch of terrorists to to, to earn the money to, to get the mob off his back, you know, and that, that's an interesting story. And that's an interesting character you could do, probably do a lot with, but I guess it just, well, it, you can't really fault them because there's so many new characters and vehicles and toys being introduced, just trying to keep up with the current run, the current number of stuff coming out. And, and, you know, some characters are going to fall by the wayside or maybe they just figured, well, he's Copperhead, but maybe they just treat him like a, like a driver, like the, the reason the his tank driver never got a special issue because there were a whole bunch of them. Maybe just the idea was there's a whole bunch of guys just like this. So who knows? Yeah. And real quick, I was looking. Thunder came with the slugger. 
self-propelled cannon. I thought Thunder showed up, but maybe I could be mistaken on that. Moving on from there, we have Blowtorch and Deep Six. Any thoughts on these two? Uh, I like how they have uh, Deep Six. He's has he has the wounded bandage on his head <laughs> from the issue that uh, he gets yeah. shot up a little bit. <laughs> He's not looking good in this picture. I don't know why yeah. they chose it. <laughs> he, yeah, he really doesn't look like he wants to be there. Is that a bandage? Is, is that that a, like a little hat, like a little... It, uh, it doesn't like look like the sailor hat. Am I wrong? It looks like a bandage. Am I wrong? Or I thought, is it a bandage uh, or a hat? I can't remember. I don't know. Either way, he looks hurt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's his hat, but I do agree. Yeah, he, he doesn't look like he really wanted his picture taken that day. <laughs> he looks a little miserable there. And then you know, we get Blowtorch. He's face is completely covered with his mask. So it's Thunder, though. So let's, let's see what they look like. Yeah, it's... Uh, Blowtorch uh, was a good character. Like blowing things up, catching things on fire. Uh, the next page has Roadblock and Ripcord. Ripcord will play a major part coming up. And Roadblock, uh, he's always a, he's a fan favorite too. Roadblock, he's a great character. Any thoughts on these two? Mm, Ripcord is awesome. Ripcord is my favorite Joe action figure and, and character wise, at least for the next. 15, 15, 20 or so issues that come down the road. He has a lot of action, a lot of interesting stuff to do. And I, I get the sense that it just kind of happened by random uh, because Larry famously says he doesn't outline. He doesn't really know where things are going. It just ripcord just fortunately for the character kind of landed at, at a point in the story and in a way that he needed to be involved in it for a, a good while. But uh, there was always something really cool about having an action figure, a Joe action figure that was your personal favorite, and then have him be featured so prominently in the comic. And uh, so, you know, Rip Cord's my fave, easily. Yeah, because for instance, if you were a fan of Thunder, you were left out on that one. Yeah. Story on him, yeah. So. Or, or Copperhead. <laughs> Copperhead. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, really left out the comments you want to copyright because yeah, he, he never showed up in these except for here. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, any thoughts on these? I, I agree. Ripcord was one of the coolest action figures. I, I loved uh, his accessories, and he just looked so cool. And uh, I was always fascinated by uh, paratroopers, and uh, uh, I just I, I'd always. Remember playing with that action figure when I was a kid, and uh, just always looked cool. And Roadblock looks, uh, Roadblock looks like Roadblock, you know. Uh, kind of curious about the this weird backpack that he has on, but other than that, uh, both looking good. Uh, next page, we're back to the Cobras. We have the Baroness and Major Blood. He's a big fan of the Baroness. Uh, as Shag would say, she's hot, but that's another story entirely. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on Blood and the Baroness? I can confirm that the time. I can confirm that the Baroness is hot. I will do that. I always like the fact that she had those round glasses, uh, not like John Lennon's small style, but like the larger ones. And I always thought that was kind of cool. I like the yeah. uh, I like the major blood picture, but he's missing his dog tags. And I, I, I wish that yeah. uh, I wish they would have shown that. You probably have tucked on side shirt today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brad, do you have thoughts about the Baroness that you can share publicly and or major blood? Uh, the Baroness, uh, not not publicly, not publicly. Uh, although I, I do think in the pantheon of GI Joe, uh, the comic, very much like in Archie comics, you're either a Betty or a Veronica fan. You're either a Scarlet or a Baroness fan. It's one or the other. And which one you pick says a lot about you. I think I choose the Baroness, but that's just me. 
So let's go to find out. Jared. I mean, I'm, I'm reading the screen. Uh, Brad, are you a Baroness or a Scarlet? I'm a, I'm a Scarlet. I'm a Scarlet fan. I, I like those redheads. And Kevin. Redheads are my kryptonite. Yeah. <laughs> so what does that say about me? Anyways. Uh, move. <laughs> and I was just reading Major Blood's file card. I'm a little disappointed that they don't point out about his his fondness of bad poetry. Uh, moving on from then, the next page has Wild Weasel and Scrap Iron. I know Scrap Iron shows up quite a bit later on. Wild Weasel shows up. In fact, he's recently appeared uh, back in the, 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 the same storyline that uh, Copperhead should have been in. What are your guys' thoughts on Wild Weasel and Scrap Iron? Well, I'll say I know Scrap Iron does not show up for a long time, and uh, he has a very prominent, very pivotal role in a very in a very uh, famous issue. But I remember reading the yearbook and seeing Scrap Iron, and it seemed like you were waiting forever for him to show up, and you were. It was close to a, a year before he showed up in the comic, and that was the interesting thing about with the yearbook and seeing, you know, seeing a Rakondo and seeing Scrap Iron in the uh in this little file card section and then having to wait forever for them to show up in the comic um so that's that's kind of what stands out for me and wild weasel the, the next issue that we'll be covering in the uh the regular headcast issue 34 is uh probably wild weasel's finest hour in the comic so uh it's it's uh, a good little reminder to see him here and again pointing to the fact that the the selection of characters to profile here is very strange it's very scattershot in a way but uh you know it's uh it's an interesting it's just interesting how i guess how whatever the thought process was in deciding which ones to feature and which ones not to i guess you should make a note of that maybe another question for for Larry is how were the if he was in charge of this? Oh, let's not start a list for Larry. Let's just ask him about this darn yearbook first. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need to kidnap him first and then ask him all the questions. You know, I'm sure you would appreciate that. Oh, I'm sure you would. Sorry, that was my evil twin that said that. Uh, Kevin, the Raider nerd, did not mean to say kidnap Larry Hama. Sorry. See, I was going to blame that on Jared. Uh, Jared snuck <laughs> into Kevin's house, and he's Jared Albrick, the art artist, actually had a comment about kidnapping. Larry Hama, none of us would ever do that. That's something a yard sale artist would do. <laughs> there, I think we're safe now. So let's go ahead and move on to the next page where we have Mutt with Junkyard, or well, at least on the file card, it says Junkyard, and Spirit. Uh, I'm going to make a comment real quick. I'm a little uh, disappointed that we didn't get Junkyard in here. It mentions his dog's name is Junkyard, but we don't actually get I think this would have been a good full page to show Mutt and Junkyard together. Uh, Kevin, any thoughts on these? Yeah, notice that these are the two Joes that have animal friends, yet they're not like in the pictures. That's a travesty. Yeah, same way through. Yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, real quick, to interrupt you. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, they don't even mention freedom. What was spirits. I don't think I don't know if freedom was ever. I guess part of the canon for the. Uh, comic like he was Travesty. in the in the cartoon in the cartoon he, you know the animals were front and center but um i guess same thing with shipwreck and uh, his parrot you know shipwreck will appear in the comic but not with his parrot you know i think i think larry and the comic just kind of kept it a little more grounded the fact that well you can understand why a, a, a canine would have a dog at his side but uh, <laughs> i think having a guy say well i gotta if he gets the dog i get to bring my eagle in and the shipwreck thing, well if he, gets to bring, if he gets to bring an eagle and i get to bring a parrot and then just where does it end you know bobcats and and you know <laughs> 
all, all, all other menagerie of uh, four-legged friends and, and winged birds joining your military team. I think at a certain point, Larry just decided, no, I'm not going to really play up the uh, the animal side of things, but appropriate that the two Joes with animals, at least packaged-wise, accessory-wise, on the uh, action figures at least get to share the same page. Very much so. Looking at Yojo's site and I'm wondering if the reason they chose a lot of these characters is because most of them came out this year. I'm looking at the 84 series of uh, characters, and, and you've got Baroness, Barbecue, Duke, Firefly, Mutt, Ricondo, Air, uh, Ripcord, Roadblock, Scrap Iron, Spirit, and Storm Shadow for the card of figures. Yeah, so I'm wondering right. that's why they chose this is because yeah. they're the one trying to sell toys of Copperhead, mm. Deep Six, Wild Weasel. Yeah, for the for the most part, but uh, we we get to it in the next page. But Destro is uh, an older character, and so is Steeler and Rock and Roll. Right. So they they may have just you know just picked a bunch at random or whichever ones they could put together quickly enough. And because you don't have enough space yeah. to do one on every single Joe and every single Cobra, right? It'd be prohibitively uh, huge book uh, to kind of get everybody covered. <laughs> so I guess they just chose a certain right. number of them. That'll come later on with the Fortune miniseries, but that's for the future. <laughs> so, yeah, so the next page, uh, this way, we have Destro and Zartan. Uh, Brad, what are your thoughts on Destro? I know. <laughs> You're going to ask. Well, De- De- Destro, I, you got me there. I, De- Destro is Destro, and Destro is cool. You know, he's sort of one of those, one of those iconic villains of, of, the, of the line, but also... Uh, you know, of, 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 I guess, that whole decade, uh, as far as, uh, as cartoon villainy went, you know, I think, I think, you know, Zartan, not Zartan, uh, Freudian slip there, uh, Destro's had staying power. And I guess maybe it's interesting to see him and Zartan on the same page because taken on their own, uh, they're both pretty ridiculous looking, uh, if you really extrapolate it to the modern day, present day world. Um, but side by side, you can kind of see that that's sort of the direction that the uh, that the comic and the cartoon were both in the toy line were kind of going into. So uh, it's a different, uh, you know, it's a it's a different direction compared to the Operation Lady Doomsday comic, which by comparison feels a lot more grounded than it really did, even though it was pretty out there in uh, the early '80s when it came out. And Kevin, do you have thoughts on either of these Destro or Zartan? Destro's uh, pendant, if I remember correctly, is a red jewel. It is not in this picture. I will not stand for that. And uh, Zartan, <laughs> Zartan, uh, I've seen better pictures of him. I'm having a really bad photo day. <laughs> I think they just send Jostens around or something like that to take everybody's photo. And you're like, wait, I want to take another one. I look, I look dorky in that one. I- Hair sticking up or making a goofy face and like, sorry, next one. And that's what happened. <laughs> sorry, can't help you looks. <laughs> one thing I was, I was going to say, do you have any thoughts on Zartan? Oh, Jared, me? Oh, no. Yeah. Um, one, I just oh, have no, sorry. a quick little uh, bit of Google foo myself because looking over the, um, the Zartan card down near the bottom in the psychological profile, it says extreme paranoid schizophrenic 
grows into mul various multiple personalities to such an extent that the original personality becomes buried and forgotten. I do remember this being a source of a little bit of controversy back in the day, so I had to look it up. And sure enough, according to his tank, uh, it says, according to a December 1984 article from Canada's Globe and Mail, the Canadian Mental Health Association took exception to Zartan's characterization as a paranoid schizophrenic. And it says the article states that embarrassed Hasbro officials apologized for using the phrase paranoid schizophrenic and the psychological profile selection or section was removed entirely from the bio in later production runs. So if you happen to have a original Zartan file card that mentions the uh, extreme paranoid schizophrenia, then it might be worth something. I wonder why they obje I mean, objected to that. I mean, it's someone that switches identity. I, I don't see why. I, I'm curious why, what their offense was to that. Well, if you see, if you read about it on his tank, you just do a search for Zartan controversy at the uh, Canadian Mental Health Association says that for years we've been trying to fight against the stigmatization and ostracization of the mentally ill. And now this company creates the notion that the mentally ill are alien and enemy creatures rather than people who need our help and understanding. So this is, you know, 1984. This is 35 years ago. So, you know. Comics weren't always weren't aren't just controversial now. They're controversial back then too. So yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on, we get another full page splash here. We get Steeler cleaning his tank, cleaning his his, his barrel. I was trying to think of a dirty way to say that, but I decided not to. Uh, <laughs> Kevin, any thoughts on on Steeler and his tank? Uh, I love that shot. You know, he's uh, he's waxing or washing his tank there, and uh, you know you have to show Steeler with the tank. And uh, one of my good mm -hmm. friends uh, is a huge fan of Steeler and he's part of the GI Joe costume group and he lives in Canada and he's uh part of the uh, garrison that's up there and put a request in to get a custom license plate to say Mobat on his car. And it got rejected the first time around and he appealed and explained what it meant and everything. And he finally got it okay. And now his uh, car license plate says Mobat. <laughs> and he does a very good <laughs> he, he does a very good Steeler costume based on the original action figure too, that came with the Mobat. Oh, very nice. And Brad, Thoughts on Steeler cleaning his tank? I, I like the drawing. I like the picture. And I, I like Steeler and I like the Mobot. It was actually one of my favorite vehicles back in the day. You know, I think it's it's a ni it's a nice to kind of end this whole section with a, a, th a throwback to one of the original one of the original Joes, who's uh, you know had a long history with the comic and with the toy line. And uh, you know, the Mobot was one of those great vehicles that everybody had to have back in the day because it was motorized and it could. It could. It had some weight to it. It could roll. You could roll over the cobras, which, we, which they frequently did in my house, at least. So uh, yeah, it's a nice. It's a nice little uh, throwback. And again, it's this, it's this mix of newer figures or newer characters and some of the older ones. So it's uh, it's nice that the old guard isn't completely forgotten by this point. Oh, very much so. Yeah, they, they could have easily gotten forgotten. But yeah, I do like. And yeah, like you guys have said, this is a great picture. I love the fact that he's he's cleaning his his. Uh, the barrel of the gun and he's got the thumbs up smiling hey hey guys this guy was ready for picture day <laughs> yeah, yeah he came prepared he's he's the guy his mom sent to school in a nice shirt and nice clothes and, and you know everybody made fun of him for looking like a dork but he, he got the best picture out of the whole bunch so so those are the, the character profiles they have in this issue 
moving on from there, we get a little section on GI Joe on television. Oh. So this article, you guys haven't read this article or glanced through it? I've glanced through it. Although I will point out that the comic, um, the if you have the original comic, it's got an ad to join the uh, GI Joe fan club. And yeah, baby. So I, I never joined the fan club. I don't know if Kevin did. I did, and you I did. don't have any of this stuff left. <laughs> you got the uh, you got the GI <laughs> Joe dog tag personalized with your name. Uh, you got the GI Joe military web belt, the iron on emblem. You also had a seventeen by twenty two full color poster, the official GI Joe plastic membership card. You got the newsletter. And then they said, we're counting on you. Cobra is tough as nails, tricky as a fox, and out to rule the world. We need you now. Fill out the mail enrollment form and your check or money order for $5 today. Remember, the free world is counting on you as much as we are. I paid by cash, and they took it. <laughs> what was the poster? It was uh, – I want to say it was the um, – oh, gosh. I think it was something kind of from the first issue. I, you know what? I don't remember. I really, really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember it came folded, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. I didn't really care about that at the time. But, man, yeah, I did not save this stuff. I, I'm bad. I suck. Yeah, you Yeah, you should have at least hung on to the dog tag. I know. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah, I never joined any of these either. So uh, it's really cool seeing someone that joined one of these these fan club things. That's always cool. And again, yeah, this is basically this little article talks about the cartoon comic how it came out and how, like I said earlier, the, the first two miniseries came out and everyone loved them. Uh, the comic came out and you know, the retailers did get enough of the comic, enough of the toys in, so they're writing to Hasbro. Where can we get more? Or so that's why they came out. And this, this issue came out right before the series came out. Mm-hmm. They talk about how in the fall of 85, the Joes will start their own daily show. Who could have foreseen it? Who would have believed it? What does the future hold for G.I. Joe? Only time will tell. The best way to stay tuned is to check out the toy line, pick up the comics, watch the show. And again, they got clip. They got little pictures here from either the commercials or the the uh, first couple of cartoons. I got, they got one picture here of, uh, I forget his name, the giant guy that Duke had to fight. Uh <laughs> This is a great little article. Like, so if you haven't read this, I definitely recommend uh, reading. And I say just visual background on G.I. Joe and how the cartoon came to be uh, about the toys and all that good stuff. And that brings us to the last page. At least what I'm looking at here is the memo from Hawk to all units. It's saying you read the good stuff on the preceding pages. You have a pretty good idea what's been up to the last couple of years. Something's pretty bad. They lost General Flag. They lost Quinn, even though it was one of the Joes. They had respect for him. There were good times, they had laughs, and a good feeling you get when you know the people around you are the best. Now we moved into the new pit, we're tired than ever, and this is just the beginning. Hey, tell you, they got, coming, they got more ventures coming, more members, new gear. Uh, like, let's face troops, business is saving the world, but there's a law that says we can't have fun doing it. Signed by Hawk. And it looks like uh, Green Lantern and HG has joined us over in the chat. Uh, he said he's late, he had an excuse. Apparently, the long box crusade had him trapped. Hey, Sign remind us next time we're doing this on video because I might have picked my nose earlier or did something weird. So that'd be great. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> anyway, any other, any other thoughts on G.I. Joe yearbook number one? Yeah, the 
the section with the television, there's an image, and I don't remember what episode it was from. It says, can the Joes snatch the dock back? One of the Joes gives it a whack with the aid of a jetpack. And a Cobra is riding a really nice looking kind of sports car with fins on it and a Cobra symbol. Is that from an episode? I don't remember. No, I think it's from the uh, animated cartoon for the first issue uh, of G.I. Joe. Okay, why of... didn't they release that vehicle for Cobra? That thing is awesome. That is awesome. And and the jetpack looks different, too. It almost looks like a Flash Gordon kind of yeah. couple, couple, of, couple of tanks of gasoline yeah. strapped to some guy's back. They just launched him through the air. But in fact, it looks like most of the screen grabs are from commercials. They're not really from – it's only towards the last little bit that you get some ones that are drawn from the uh, the first miniseries. But uh, actually, overall, I think I think the uh, the little talking about the animation, the the cartoon, and how that all came about is actually probably the most interesting part of this whole yearbook because I think it's easy to lose sight of nowadays with the internet, and you can find out anything about how anything came together, uh, movie or TV wise. But back then, you didn't really know any of the behind the scenes stuff, so it it kind of makes this yearbook a bit more of a curio than just a a straight up annual because it kind of peels back the curtain a little bit of the uh of the of the of the tv series and the mechanics of making it and uh you know i think that's something that makes this sort of very much of its time you know i couldn't see them doing anything like this for a contemporary comic or cartoon series now and i don't even know i'm not so versed to even know if there was anything like the yearbook prior to this with any of the other uh any of the other comics whether they were marvel dc whether they were based on marvel dc properties or if it was based on some licensed thing i think as far as a toy line being licensed uh out to a comic book i think gi joe was the first case where that had really oh. taken off and really taken off well i know marvel did the micronauts back in the 70s but it didn't have the huge impact that joe did so i'm again that's another question we'll have to ask larry next time other than maybe like, uh, geez, the Star Wars had the movie, and they had the toys. Yeah, yeah. They had a comic but, but yeah, that was that was all off the movie. So yeah, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, everything I've heard, GI Joe was the first toy line that produced, you know, the, the TV show and the comic and everything, which became so immensely popular, was GI Joe. I was looking through scans of, you know, trying to find more pit scans and pictures of other headquarters and stuff. And there's one of a Cobra Island layout and they talk about all the different main Cobra villains and what they do. And what I found funny was that Zartan and family and the croc master, they were head of security for Cobra Island. <laughs> I think it came out around the time of the, the Cobra Island war. Yeah. In the seventies. <laughs> well, that was from me. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Yeah, I do remember that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that's when yeah, Crocmaster came out. Yeah, he was part of the security team and the Dreadnoughts. Yeah, I don't have the hatred for them like some people do. Yeah, no. Zartan. Yeah, but some anyways, yeah, I don't know if I would put them in charge of security because uh, <laughs> yeah, they don't tend to listen very well, as we've seen. Uh, well, do you guys have any other thoughts on on this issue? Uh, you know. I, I, when I first got this, I didn't know really what to expect. And 
So I was expecting or excited to see the next one. And I think as we went on, the yearbooks got a little bit better because we got some original stories, which I thought were great, and some more kind of file card type stuff. But uh, overall, I thought this was a good start to it. I see why they kind of went the way they did with it. I just wish the co- the cover was and was a little more vibrant um, and um, a little more love to the back cover as well. But uh, overall, a, uh, a definitely worthy addition to every G.I. Joe comic collection. Brad, do you have any other thoughts? Yeah, well, I think overall, and I touched on this a little bit earlier, but overall reading the yearbook, reading through it uh, was a real trip because I think more so than the reread of the individual issues, this one really feels like an artifact of its time. It feels very specific to 1984. 1985 and it's almost like this perfect little document of how much a cultural force gi joe had become by that point uh because it sort of crossed over from just being a toy and a comic and a cartoon into this real cultural kind of phenomenon and i think it ultimately it boils down to it's a great sales tool for the comic and getting those kids who may have been fans of the cartoon and the toy line into reading the comic for the first time. And I think it certainly succeeded because after this point, G.I. Joe really kind of exploded both the, both the toy and the comic line. And then with the, with the, uh, the cartoon going weekly or going daily, actually, uh, in the following fall, it, I don't think G.I. Joe ever was as popular as it was over the next couple of years. Uh, Green Lantern had commented. I saw the comment. He's saying, oh, so that's how the Joes got onto the island so easy. <laughs> they saw the... <laughs> green lantern hg said that so uh yeah that explains it you know uh, they were maybe they're able to uh somehow get past croc master and those uh dreadnoughts um by the way i just want to make an announcement here aaron and brad while we were doing this podcast here i actually went on to vistaprint and i printed up some extra copies including one for myself of the pit GI Joe command center poster. And because you guys were on this podcast, I'm going to send one to each of both of you. Oh, thank you very much. Very nice. Yes. But uh, by the way, Brad, you're still, you're in the States, right? You're not over like in China or something. Not not at present. No. Okay. All right. Good. Hopefully we've been working on uh, Magicians Impossible 2. And you you know how when you order through Vistaprint and other places and before you check out, they say, would you like your image on a mug? Would you like your image on a pen? It'll cost you just this little bit more. So someone might also get a T-shirt with it as well. So, Well, well. The original, the, 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 nice. the original Jared, the original Jared's going to be kicking himself for not being on this. I know, right? Missing his chance. Neener, neener. <laughs> misses his chance at a poster. Uh, well, thank you, Kevin. That's, that's very nice. That's, and that's, it's going to be a poster great. of a scan from the uh, original comic. So you're going right. to see like the worn color page. You're going to see the line down the center of it. So. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> I did have a coup- uh, I did have right. a coupon for Vistaprint, so there you go. An expiring nice. coupon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the way it works. <laughs> oh, but unless you guys have any other thoughts on anything, I guess that's going to do it for this episode of Protein. I am Again, putting I it quite. Sure I'm putting it in the comic into the comic bag with the back, so I'm done with it now. There we go.
Yeah, me too. <laughs> going back in the bag for probably another 35 years. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure how this, this episode was going to come out because, again, yeah, it's not an actual story like we've been doing. But, you know, we had to cover it because it is part of G.I. Joe. And I think we did a very good job on it. I appreciate very much uh, your guys' input and your you know, willingness to play along with me on this. So thank you guys very much again. You guys are a great couple of Joes. Before we finish up for the day, Kevin, I'm sure this isn't the only thing you do with your life. If people want to hear more about you or get your thoughts on, on movies or Highlander or a jillion other things, where can they go? No, all I do after work is just wait for you to contact me for the next Joe podcast. That's all I got. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, you can find me on the Fandom Podcast Network. Uh, we are there on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we have a, a bunch of great podcasts under the Fandom Podcast Network umbrella. Our master feed is at fpnet.podbean.com. You can contact me directly at uh, Spartan underscore Phoenix through Instagram or Twitter. And we got a lot of fun podcasts. Uh, our weekly show talking about all pop culture calls. Uh, culture clash i host a couple of podcasts like uh the highlander blood of kings podcast the hair metal 80s early 90s uh rock metal podcast couch potato theater talking about our favorite movies we also have a star wars podcast called what a piece of junk we also have got a doctor who podcast star trek podcast under there as well lethal mullets my friend adam from australia uh, talks about uh 80s and 90s action films so we got a lot of fun stuff for nerds all over the place very good. And I believe that's the right web address I got on the screen now for when that wants to check it out. Definitely check out Kevin's great shows. He's got uh, probably more than I do. I don't know. He's got quite a bit going on over there. Uh, he's pits out some great material. And Brad, what do you got going on today or these days? Besides <laughs> talking to me. Besides talking to you, uh, well, I am. I, I occasionally update my uh, website, which is bradabraham.com. And uh, on the social media, which I've been taking a break from this summer, at, at Not Bright Abraham on Facebook and Instagram. And I haven't posted anything to Twitter in over a year, but you could always check in on me uh, on Twitter at the same handle. And, <laughs> no one's kidding, you're not even going to see it. <laughs> I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't see it. Well, no, no. You know, if you follow me and if you message me, I'll get an alert and then I'll try and remember what my Twitter password is and log on. And I, I, honestly, I forgot my Twitter password is. And every time I go on to send me my password so I can reset it, I'm like, oh, it's Twitter. Who cares? Um, and my my book, my book, Magicians Impossible, is still in stores, there for the reading. And Aaron left a nice review of it on uh, Amazon. And I encourage everyone else, even if you haven't read it, to leave it a nice glowing five-star review on Amazon. And we'll beat that Amazon algorithm and get more people buying the book. And again, not to kiss up because you're on my show, but I really enjoyed that book. I, I thought it was great. Like I said, I, I'm waiting for a sequel to it because, yeah, I thought it was a great story. I, I loved your you know, protagonist and antagonist. It was just a great job at it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I'm not you very much. I'm, 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 not, I'm not sure when and if a sequel is going to happen because I kind of packed every idea I had into it into that one book. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, no, it's true because I, I ended up deciding to cram everything in there and just make a big fast caper caper story. And uh, now I'm kind of stuck with an idea to what to do next. But I have a couple other things I'm working on that I want to get through first before I uh, before I um, <clears throat> before I go back into that world. So you know, yeah. uh, it was it was it was a fun thing. The, the next thing I'm working on is going to be a little different. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Right on. 
Well, again, thank you guys very much for taking time out of your, this is on a Sunday. Thank you for t- taking time out of your Sunday and, and chatting with me about the GI Joe yearbook number one. As usual, you can find all of my stuff on the Headcast Network. I've got 20 shows to list, I think. Uh, anywhere I've talked about mostly comic books and nerdy stuff. My newest shows I do want to mention is the Starbright Project, where my wife and myself are looking at the Quantum Leap TV series, starting from the first episode and going through them. Uh, my a big time, long time fan of Quantum Leap. This is the wife's first time. On a related note, we also have a podcast called Voyagers Cast, where the two of us look at the TV show Voyagers. Again, as I say, it's not the Star Trek show. It's the old 1982 time travel show. Again, I saw it when it first came out, loved it. I bought it on DVD, and this is Michelle's first time watching it through. So we've got the first episodes of those out. And we've also got another show we've got coming out, hopefully this month, Retrospect to the 80s, where we look at all things 80s. So definitely uh, check those out. They're on their own feeds. They should also be on the Headcast Network and props. Green Lantern HG says, great job, guys. Or good job, guys. He can't wait for us to drop. Thank you for joining us, Green Lantern. Glad you was able to uh, get away from the that other group. Thank you, Green Lantern. Uh, <laughs> join in with us. But I guess that's going to go for this, this time. Uh, until next time, we will see you guys uh, in two weeks over on G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. We'll talk about issue 34. Have a good day, guys. listen to Bravo Team, a supplementary G.I. Joe, a real American headcast show. Be sure to check out our main show, the second Tuesday of the month, G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, where I talk about the G.I. Joe, a real American hero comic book series read by Larry Hama and the G.I. Joe cartoon from the 80s. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Check out our Facebook page. Just search for G.I. Joe, a real American headcast under both Facebook and over on Twitter. Uh, We're also over on Google+. Be sure to rate us and to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And be sure to write in and let us know how we're doing. We love hearing from fans. You can write to us at bravoteam at headspeaks.com. You can also send an MP3 file in and we'll play that on the air. You can send that to bravoteam at headspeaks.com. And be sure to check out my other great shows on the Headcast Network, Headspeaks, Task Force X, and the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, plus possibly more in the future. Also be sure to check out the podcasts of my co-hosts. They have some great shows. And if you want to appear on this show, definitely let me know. I'm always up to speaking to new people. You can send me a Facebook message or you can send us an email to bravoteam at headspeaks.com. Be sure to check out our website. The main site is at headspeaks.com. But you can check out the website for this show at gijoe.headspeaks.com. Be sure to join us here monthly for another great podcast. Until next time, Joe's dismissed.